Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. We're here on Marketing Against the Grain with Nathan Berry, founder of ConvertKit. And we are talking creators. We are talking about building businesses, lessons learned along the way. Nathan, welcome to Marketing Against the Grain. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. We're excited to have you. And so I think one of the reasons we're really excited to have you on is because on our show, we talk a lot about marketing. We talk a lot about AI. We talk a lot about creators and the creator-first economy. And what's interesting is you built a company in ConvertKit that was, I think, originally for marketers, and you have definitely moved the focus more and more to creators. And, you know, Kieran and I are bullish on creators, but like, where do you stand? Do you think, is that a good bet? You're still going down that route? Like, what's the pros and the cons of the state of like the creator movement today? So the, the first thing is, don't write it because it's a hot wave. Like, it'll change and, and your company will die out because of it. But then the other thing is, you know, if you're looking to create this outcome that's, you know, absolutely massive that like a huge amount of VC capital requires, then you're going to struggle. Like, just to talk very specifically, I think that Substack is a good example of this. Yes. Of when you're raising that amount of capital and you need that level of valuation. I honestly think the market is just not quite big enough yet. It's going to be really a challenge to get there quickly. And so for ConvertKit, being self-funded, I think we're able to grow into it over a long period of time and grow with the market. We'll see where that goes. So anyway, I think a bunch of these, like the 2021 vintage (laughs) of like hot creator companies, I think most of them are going to die out. And then I think the creator economy overall is absolutely massive and going to thrive. And five years from now, I think it'll be two to five times bigger than it is now. Well, so I think that's my question kind of back for you is like, is that creator economy going to be two to five times bigger? Or is the creator economy and creators in general essentially really just like a power law top one? Like to be a creator, you have to have influence over hundreds of thousands, millions of people, right? By definition, you are a very small subset of the population. Do we think that those people can become entrepreneurs and scale the economy in the oh, way absolutely. that is going to 2, 5, 10x this industry? I think you're probably right, but I think we should have the debate. Well, so there, there was this article that I can't remember, maybe it was Lee Jin who wrote, talking about how the creator economy does not have a middle class. Mm-hmm. You basically have mm-hmm. this power law distribution. There's a very long, like there's a long tail of people who, you know, have 5,000 like followers on social platforms are not making any money. And then there's people who are making, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars and there's no in between. And I remember reading that article and basically going, wait, I have all of this first party data that says that is fundamentally not true, right? Interesting. And I think that on some social platforms, right? YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, I think that that could be true where there's a huge power law distribution. But when you look at creators, particularly those focused on email and podcasting, there is a massive middle class. Like you can turn 10,000 email subscribers into $100,000 to $200,000 a year in revenue. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's simple. <laughs> the playbook exists. Well, yeah. 
explain to everybody watching today, like what does a middle-class creator look like? What are those ranges? Like if somebody's out there and they're like, gosh, I'd really like to do this, but like, what do I got to get to to make some type of living? What does that look like? Yeah, so especially if we go into like a, a B2B niche, mm -hmm. right? So we're not in maybe a fashion influencer or something like that. But you're talking to someone who at an event a couple of weeks ago, I met someone who is a CPA and he teaches small business owners about like tax and finance. Mm -hmm. He's got about 10 to 15,000 people on his email list. And if you think about the stack of products that he has, right? So he's got an intro level course that he's selling for 50 to $100, all right? He's got multiple pricing tiers, which is key if you're trying to maximize revenue. And then he has a high-end product where he's like, hey, I'm going to teach you like really meaningful, like we're deep diving in this course for about $1,000. And then he's got coaching where he's trying to take this much further. He's teaching at a, at a much higher price point, basically services that he's offering. Mm -hmm. And so he's making, if I remember the numbers right, about $75,000 a year off the digital products and then another seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year off of like the services that he's providing to businesses. And that, like you combine those things and you're in great shape, right? That is a very successful career. When you need more, more clients, you can go from there. So it does well. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think like creators are somewhat the evolution of what started with the internet where when we all moved into the internet, there just became this like huge appetite of knowledge, right? And the way we marketed changed because then brands could like own a small subset of that knowledge and actually acquire people who wanted that knowledge and, and onboard them onto a product. Like we onboarded them onto software. And I think creators are like an even more accelerated version of that where they take like small subsets of the ecosystem or the internet, like small niches of the internet and just own that niche. And I think it's much easier for them to own that niche. The thing that we've seen, Nathan, is like, Actually, the internet is starting to move in the direction where a lot of these channels that you can grow from today favor creators versus a brand, right? Like if you look at the social channels, they for the most part want creators because they have all these creator programs. They don't even allow brands to, you know, have their links on those platforms. They want to monetize on the platform that favors creators. So we've kind of seen this evolution of like all these channels start to kind of favor the individual versus to brand. I'm curious if you've seen that. How, how do you see that? Or do you see that trend yourself? I, I absolutely see it. And it's not because the platform favors a an individual creator over a brand. It's because the consumers do it. And so the platforms are mm. watching that consumer behavior and then following it, right? Everything that, that the platforms right. are doing is to try to increase, you know, watch time, views on advertising and that sort of thing. And so you need attention from an audience. And so they're saying, okay, what works? If we have, you know, random, I don't know what, professional services company as their brand talking about, here are seven ways that you should be ready for taxes this season or whatever the product is, right? They're seeing that content and then they're seeing, you know, the CPA who's saying, hey, here's what I'm actually seeing as I'm like, you know, four things that I noticed last week because I was helping clients. Like, here's what you should watch for in your business, right? There is going to be a night and day difference in engagement from consumers on that. And so, again, it's not that the platform is like, this is what we want to exist in the world. The platform is just like, look, this is what where attention is going. And so let's prioritize that. Yeah, I think that's fair, actually. Yeah, so like they're trying to match their content with what their consumer wants. And consumers, for the most part, are attracted towards an individual versus a brand. And these channels actually allow individuals to be much more front and center. I think the, that would be, to me, like the bullish case on the creator. Like if I had to sit down and say, what's the bullish? It's like, 
Well, the consumer wants to like interact with individuals. Today, it's easier than ever for an individual to get like front and center mm-hmm. in all these channels with that person versus, so maybe it's not like creator versus a brand or person versus a brand, but like just it's easier for a person with something to say to get in front of those people. And that's what consumers gravitate towards. The bearish case I've always had on just like creators in general and just like that space for just like anyone who wants to become a creator is like kind of what Kip said, where there's this like small small subset of winners and everyone else is like losers and there's like such a huge separation between those two things. So it's interesting to hear you say like, actually there's a whole mid tail or like middle category where you can actually be successful creator where you don't have to be the Mr. Beast or any of these kind of top echelon. Is that always been that way or that's a new thing you've seen? I think it's always been that way. It's just not the sexy, exciting thing to talk about. Right. Well, right. it's also not anybody's mindset, Nathan. I think when people start out, they think they have to get really big and getting really big takes a long, long time. And most people just can't do the four, five, six, seven year grind. And you're kind of saying like, no, actually, in one to two years, you can build a monetizable audience if you pick the right niche. Is that the difference of how I think a lot of people think versus maybe they should? Yeah, to be clear, I think it takes two to five years. Most people who are diving in are not going to see meaningful results in one to two years, especially if they don't have the habits required to show up consistently. If you're already a professional in your industry, you know how to show up, you know how to write, you know you know how to produce content, and you decide, I'm going to be a creator, then like totally, you can get it in one to two years. But if you're coming in cold, you know, saying like, I have this unrelated skill that I want to teach as a creator, and you don't already know how to get like the perfect Zoom set up and, you know, you're not struggling over what podcasting mic to use, then you're going to have much different results. But I mean, there's so many things in this. The, the popular narrative of this power law, like it's just because people don't want to pay attention to or they don't have the data for the mid-tier because it's not what's getting written about. But I can see it, right? I see it firsthand. I have 50,000 customers paying for ConvertKit. And we collect all of the revenue data from every platform that they sell on. And that customer that has between, I'll call it 5,000 and 100,000 email subscribers, they're absolutely printing money relative to their audience size. Mm. And the thing is, is because they can, I mean, I know you both are huge fans of email marketing. (laughs) You wouldn't work, you know, where you have in your careers if you didn't believe in it. But being able to personalize messages to your audience, being able to segment and target, right? Like you can monetize in a huge way. Here's an example. There's a creator named Ali Abdal. He has a fantastic YouTube channel, podcast, all that. But the YouTube channel is the main thing. And he's grown a big audience on email. He did a YouTube course that did very, very well. Before I share the numbers, let me do a counter argument. Mm-hmm. There's another channel called Yes Theory. They are maybe five to 10 times as popular as Ali is. They came out with a course and they like it totally flopped. They're teaching a course on like, here's how to do YouTube. Totally flopped, giant audience. Ali Abdal comes out with his course. It's making three to $4 million a year. Now, Ali is a power law creator, right? He's, yeah. He's, he's big. Yeah. But yes, theory is incredibly larger. And so when you dive in on this, and you're like, wait a second, why is the small creator printing money and the large creator has this big flop with their audience? And the thing is that Ali did not promote his course on his YouTube channel. He used his YouTube channel as top of funnel. He got them into an email list. He then segmented people based on what they're interested in. He taught a bunch about, here's how to start a YouTube channel. Here's what to do. Found this, you know, you call it a niche of people who want to learn on YouTube, but it's, it was probably 5,000 people, you know? <laughs> it was a lot of people. And then he sold a high-priced course to them 
that was really good and really targeted. And he made millions of dollars. And so that's happening at smaller scales where a creator is like, hey, I have 100,000 on Instagram and I can't sell a thing. But then they're going down and targeting and finding the right thing for the right people to a subset, you know, 10,000 people on an email list where they can segment and tag and personalize and everything else. And they're just printing money. And so all of these creators who are like, there's no middle class, like, you're right. There's no middle class on those platforms. <laughs> but if you bring those people mm, to email, yeah. there's a thriving middle class. Okay, so one of the things if you're watching and you are like, hey, I want to have at least some type of personal revenue coming from a creator is, you have, Nathan, I think what you're telling everybody is like, you need to decide what your top of the funnel is. And that's probably some combination of YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. And then you have some kind of mid funnel where you're going to actually monetize. And historically, you're saying from all the data you see across 50,000 creators, that's email and podcasts. Yeah. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. So you got to think of it like a hub and spoke model. A lot of creators try to be on every platform and that doesn't work because you're going to spread yourself thin. Or they'll go, oh, okay, I'm only going to focus on email because that is where I get the best engagement. But there's a huge problem. Like email does not have a discovery algorithm. No. It doesn't exist, right? Like I promise you, I've looked for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> All three of us have spent a lot of time. <laughs> I think the three of us have probably spent more cumulative time trying to figure that out than... 99.9% .9 of people in the world. So yes, uh, we can clear, I think I have figured that out, but we'll come back to that in a second. Okay, please. So email is where you get the best engagement, but there's no algorithm that's going to, like, if you have the best email, it's like, wow, okay, that's now trending on the email homepage. Like, that's not a thing. Whereas a really great Twitter thread, you know, could legitimately be viewed by, you know, 5 million people, right? LinkedIn, all these other platforms, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, YouTube, their whole thing is discovery algorithms. And so I, I think the most successful creators choose one social platform mm -hmm. that they feel the best at and are most confident in. They have a second that they're testing, that they're playing with, and then they are driving all of that to email. So uh, a common thing is you'll see YouTube as a primary, Instagram as a secondary, email as the hub. Or if you're focused on written content, Twitter as the primary or X uh, as the primary, and LinkedIn as the secondary and the email hub. And I've seen some massive, massive businesses, you know, one to three million a year. You can capture emails. You've seen people do that and capture email addresses off those two platforms because I've seen like anytime you promote on those platforms these days, that stuff just doesn't do as well. Like the, those, all, every platform seems to want to build like an, an in-app experience where they, you know, you see TikTok, right? Like TikTok shops are incredible and they're incredible because the experience is within the same platform. And so I'm curious, like, I'm surprised actually that you're able to drive a ton of emails from X or from LinkedIn. You know, one of the things we've seen on the internet is every single platform wants to keep you within that ecosystem, right? Like even Google search, one of the last places <laughs> which its whole entire goal is to get you somewhere else is moving towards, no, like you can't leave, stay here. We'll give you all the answers. And I think AI chat is going to make that much worse. But I'm definitely surprised to hear that like, creators have been able to go from X and LinkedIn and build a great subscriber list of that because I've never really seen it work where you promote anything on these channels and at scale, you can get people to sign up for something. So I think that's interesting. I'd love to kind of just hear about how that's been working. Yeah, I see it work firsthand all the time. I was just on a call yesterday with six or seven creators who were talking about how they've built their audiences on X and LinkedIn. And they do it like crazy where... Uh, Twitter will or X. I don't. I don't know what to say. Doesn't matter. Do you guys struggle with this too? <laughs> yeah, 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 I struggle so much with it. Like Elon, this was a tough rebrand for my brain to process. 
the platform formerly known as Twitter. So with that, if you put a link in your initial post, it's often going to not get the distribution that it would otherwise. Right. So you'll see people do something like, if I post something and it gets at least 200 likes and it has this momentum, then I will reply with a lead magnet. You know, basically the, the traditional playbook that's worked for so long, it still works today. So the only difference is that you're generally not going straight to sharing a link. You're providing a bunch of value on the platform and following up with a link to get more. It's like the guest posting strategy where you're not just saying, you know, jump over here to get my free guide to X. It's what, see, now if I say free guide to X, people think I'm talking about Twitter. <laughs> I just mean it as like a, a, a blank filler. Twitter slash X. Right, see? <laughs> anyway, so your free guide to whatever topic you have to provide a ton of value in the guest post, right? And then, you know, say, hey, if you want to go deeper on product launches or whatever the thing is, right. jump off here. But the exact same strategies that have worked before always work. They, there's just some very s- small tweaks on them. The other thing is knowing that these algorithms are not going to show all your content to everyone. And so effective content creators are going to post pretty often. Like there's a creator named Nick Huber who... Yep. Man, here's he's, someone. He's such a troll on Twitter. It's hilarious. <laughs> he's a troll. I know him really well. I just saw him. Sweaty started up on Twitter slash yeah. X for anybody yeah. watching. His the whole show. Uh, content strategy is to just elicit engagement through any means possible, right? Well, so he has it's a very obvious. deliberate content strategy. He's yeah. a little less trolling than he used to be. He's also completely different in real life, which I believe I that. find I've, wildly I've entertaining. But he is one of those people. He's not a power law distribution creator, right? From an audience size. But he is absolutely printing money. And so if you look at what he's doing, he has these top of funnel posts on Twitter and LinkedIn primarily where he is just trying to get views and attention, mm-hmm. right? And so he'll post something about, you know, an HOA or right in his space and people like it just gets <laughs> people fired up. Yeah, say, he does a bunch of crazy real estate. Say stuff, something yeah. inflammatory, right? And it'll go from there. Now, down from there, he'll have like meaningful business content as his like mid-level funnel where he's talking about, hey, this is what's working in my business. Here's some actual numbers. You know, here's a strategy you should implement. And then at the very bottom of the funnel, he's got some very detailed niche content, right? And this is all posted to Twitter. But when you look at it, like I learned more about bonus depreciation as a real estate tax strategy from a thread that he wrote where I was like, I did not understand how that works. You know, no CPA's article is going to get me to understand that. But then he explains it. And so the way that he thinks about it is top of funnel, just track views, mid funnel, that content is focused on getting, you know, like demonstrating some of the expertise, educating, uh, building that with a smaller group. And then bottom of the funnel is to demonstrate that he is like a world-class expert at all of this. And then do you want to be a customer of one of his companies, co-invest with him in one of his funds on from there? And like that audience is worth $5 million a year or more. Oh, easily. Wow. There's actually a perfect description of that and why I think creators often beat brands because the way you describe top of the funnel, middle funnel, and then monetization, that top funnel part, you have to be okay with people reacting. Hating you. Yeah, like not reacting very well. But like what brands often do is because they're so fearful of having people, you know, really say bad things about them. That mid funnel piece is their top funnel piece. Right. And that's actually why creators outperform brands in most of modern day channels is because no one wants the mid-funnel stuff in those creator awareness channels. It's boring, and people are just like looking for something to really react to, either violently disagree with or violently agree with, and that's just not a comfortable place for a brand to live, well, right? Well, they don't like living in that place. 
Kieran, let me, let me try something on for both of you. Because we're talking about the creator business and obviously Nathan is like, hey, I think it's hard to build a really high value, venture back creator focused business. But man, I think over the next decade, the creator economy is going to be huge. Well, I think the reason for that that nobody talks enough about is, especially in the B2B landscape, these B2B creators are disrupting all of these old school niche media and training organizations, mm-hmm. right? Like these really obscure private equity rolled up media companies that have 30, 40 different little like niche magazines and newsletters across different things. And idiots like me were always like, oh, brands are going to disrupt those publications, those training things, because those companies, they're kind of boring. They're stodgy. They have this host of kind of like average writers, and you kind of don't know who's behind it. And brands have the authority. They can tell the story. And then what we're actually saying is, well, brands can't disrupt because they can't actually do the provocation, the extreme point of view, the kind of top 25% that is necessary to be relevant in a market that is very dynamic and changing more than ever before. And so creators are going to step in and fill that void. And all that money that was being spent across all these media companies, all of these training companies, which, by the way, they're also small. Nobody's really rolling up. I bet if we went and sized it, it's a massive, like, you know, it's probably a 20 to $30 billion market. Like, that's what's happening. And like, if I'm trying to explain it and break down, like, where'd we come from and where we're going to? Is that right? Do you guys buy that? So... I think it's absolutely happening that the not only is the attention going to a different place than it was before, mm-hmm. but also it's way more effective. Right? As we talked earlier to market as an individual <laughs> than as a brand. I disagree with the premise that you have to be inflammatory or that that even necessarily works the best, right? Yeah. And so that a, a creator is saying things different than what a brand could say. Well, mm-hmm. Because there's all of these creators that like are only entirely positive and are even more successful. Like in the same industry, right? If you look at Sahil Bloom on Twitter and LinkedIn, yeah, he only says super positive things and he's got a million followers and his business is doing insanely well. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight in one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show, it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So then, Nathan, can we do the before and after? Can we do like, hey, what is the void creators are filling that brands are having a hard time filling? And if you're a brand and you want to be more like a creator, do these things. If you're a creator and you want to be successful, do these things. Like you work with the best creators in the world. Like you have more insight into this than anybody else. What's kind of the before after or, or the kind of the difference between those two buckets of people who are out there trying to capture influence? Well, I think the first thing is like elevate people within your brand, mm-hmm. right? This is something that HubSpot has done really, really well. 
both in, you know, your own content, but then also like with the HubSpot podcast network and all of that, where you're really able to have creators show up in a way, right? There are individuals that I can follow. With ConvertKit, we do that both with, you know, our content, right? What I'm creating, what, like Charlie Prangley, our creative director, she's got 250,000 subscribers on YouTube, right? She is really well known in the design space when she comes out and talks about, like, here's how I use ConvertKit. Here's any of those things, right? It gets a ton of traffic and attention. So both do it with, you know, your internal employees and then also do it with your customers. Get creators who, you know, in our case, our customers are creators, so this is easier. Yeah. Right. I have a, a coffee table book here that is all of these stories of creators that we've told, right? This is how creators are using our product. And you see that more and more where brands will deliberately hire creators and say, hey, you're the front person for this. Or here's the network of creators that are the front person. There was an education startup um, that I saw who deliberately hired someone who was already growing on Twitter and Instagram related to, you know, alternative education and, and all of that. And they're like, okay, you know, <laughs> we're now paying you, I don't know what, but say it's $100,000 a year, 150000 a year, if you're hiring someone who's like growing in their career, not like at the very, very top. Mm-hmm. And then you basically, as a brand, it's not that you like through your brand account, try to t- copy what works as a creator. You just hire creators <laughs> and go from there. Yeah. Notion exactly. is yeah. a great company, right? You look at all of this content. If you go on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and search Notion content, there, I think there are like over a hundred million views on TikTok for the hashtag notion, or if it's not at that high, it's pretty close. It's crazy. And you might think, oh, that's just because of their product, right? That's just how it works. No, no, no. It is carefully engineered behind the scenes. There's this guy, Ben, who is, I think one of the best in the world at this. I wouldn't be surprised if you two both know him. And he has like his creator and influencer program. He's not working with the biggest creators. He's working with ones who are even super small creating great content. Yeah. And he's building long-term yeah. relationships with them. He's, you know, paying for a lot of content. And then people see, you know, another creator is like, wow, this creator made Notion content and did really well. I think I will do the same. And so that builds it up. Whereas the first creator got paid to produce it, right? And so those kind of flywheels that you build work really, really well. And it's basically brands working with creators rather than just trying to copy the best practices. What about aqua hiring creators, basically having those people internal to your team versus... But also buying the IP is basically what you're saying. Instead of hiring them, also like buy the the I don't know about the IP. I actually just think... Well, that's what an aqua hire would be. Yeah, I know, but you have to... the way. So I think there's two versions of that. There's one where the IP is something worthwhile, like actually something meaningful to you, has enough volume or something that it's actually useful to you. I don't know if there's a lot of creators when you are a brand, like if that is true, like the thing that they have is a thing that's really going to be meaningful to your business, but they themselves, like if they can bring that in and do some version of that bigger and better and you get them more resources, obviously it means you overpay for, like at the end of the day, it's a pretty expensive hire, but you end up overpaying because you think it's a unique person to work within your company, you can kickstart something. But the problem with only working through creators is like you don't build any of that talent internally. Mm-hmm. You're continually dependent upon external people to like represent your brand in some ways. And so I'm curious, how do you think about that, Nathan? Yeah, I think that you either need to work with a network of creators where you're not reliant on a single person, right? Because if you build your entire brand around one person who, you know, is not a co-founder, does not have substantial equity, then that could be a single point of failure. The aqua hire thing is really interesting to me because... A question that I like to ask is for any given bit of attention, 
what's the highest ROI place you could direct that? Mm, it's a good question. And so creators are the absolute best in the world at getting attention, right? Like a, a million views, 10 million, you know, <laughs> like we are so good at it. And on one hand, creators monetize really, really well, where you're talking about someone who is in, you know, maybe a small niche or whatever else is like now making, like they could be teaching writing, which maybe historically is a $60,000 a year job, like somewhere in the United States. And now here they are making $600,000 a year mm. because they have this course that's doing really well. They're like maybe have sponsorships in their newsletter, any of those things. So, you know, I'm looking at this person who like say has 50,000 people on their email list and is making $600,000 a year. And we're like, wow, they have that attention and they're monetizing really, really well. Like that's amazing. On one hand, <laughs> on the other hand, I think creators are the worst at monetization. <laughs> and the reason is because they're creating something that's so much more valuable. Have you guys ever had it where you're bidding on keywords or something like in Google search results oh, and yeah. someone is oh, outbidding yeah. you and you can't figure out how they can pay as much? Like Yes. And it's normally because they're losing money. <laughs> well, sometimes it's, <laughs> often they're losing money. Yeah. Yes. But often there's something going on downstream, like Higher down in their points. funnel that yes. they're doing that you're not. Right. There's an upsell somewhere in there. Their churn is way better than yours is something else. Right. And so this is the same thing with creators where a certain audience to a creator is worth whatever amount of money. Let's use the writing course example. I'm selling a writing course for a thousand dollars. Right. In my attention to paid product funnel, I basically cap out at a thousand dollars. If we go a different direction, we sell a different kind of product. Right. That attention might be worth way more to a brand. So now you have these creators who are saying, like, hold on how could I monetize this attention to the best possible way? I'll give you an example. There's a blog, Mark's Daily Apple. It's a like health and wellness blog written by Mark Sisson. In 2013 to 2015, he's got 100 to 150,000 subscribers. He's making one to $2 million a year. Combination of ad sales, affiliate revenue, and some of his own digital products. Great monetization, wildly successful, you know, in like the paleo health diet recipe space. Great win. My question is, when you look at that audience, is that the best monetization? 150,000 subscribers, one to $2 million a year. Looks great. But what else could you do with that? What he did, I think, is absolutely fascinating. Where he said, okay, what does my audience truly want? Yes, there's recipes. Yes, there's tips. But what if they could just buy the product? Yes. Right? And so everyone's saying like, hey, this paleo-friendly salad dressing, thanks for the recipe, but it's kind of a pain in the ass to make. Can I just buy it? And so he goes and starts a company doing that. He, you know, effectively like hits his minimum order quantities and all of this off of his audience. He can sell all the, the first units. He can get distribution in grocery stores because when he talks to a buyer, right, say Whole Foods, they're like, hey, we're going to we're going to test this out. We're going to put it in a couple stores, see how it goes. If it does well, we'll roll it out, you know, regionally and then maybe nationwide. And he can go, cool, that sounds good. By the way, which stores? And they're like, oh, this one in Austin and all that. And he's like, great. Right. And he goes into his email tool and says like, Email everyone within 50 miles of this location. Say, hey, guys, you need a big favor. Like, go buy as much, <laughs> you know, of our product as possible. Cool. So he goes back and talks to the buyer, you know, at the grocery store. And he's like, hey, how'd the test go? And they're like, it sold out. Like, and he's like, no. Amazing. <laughs> no way. People, people must love this. Right? So he gets national distribution on from there. So the company is called Primal Kitchen. It's a great, great And he business. built it from launch to exit. He sold it to Kraft Foods for $200 million. And so if you look... He had a well-monetized audience, but that attention was worth infinitely more. Mm. And so we created, mm. you know, basically a hundred years of value in two years based on that. And so to your aqua hire question, 
I believe for most creators, there is a different business no, that's a much it's, better way to yeah. monetize. Yeah. And so if you can yeah. acquire those creators or hire them to build a software company, right? Should you sell digital courses or should you sell ConvertKit as a SaaS product, right? My lifetime value... We know SaaS is a better business SaaS model. SaaS is a better business model. We know that. <laughs> Wait, you mean I don't have something to do that SaaS is a better business model? <laughs> no, no. Isn't this the whole end game, which is like the creator... This is our whole thing around personal-led growth. And it's just like the creator moves up the value chain, right? So they start with courses and then to that person's they're just like, well, I should just build a product, right? Like in B2B, Kip and I have talked about this for some time and B2B it is trickier, right? It's easier, I think, in consumer to like go do the product than it is a lot of times in B2B because you know, you're building software. A lot of creators do not know how to like build a software product. I'm starting to see it now. Like there was two founders I've talked to raising seed stage deals. Both of them started with audience. Like they had a newsletter, someone else had another large audience on another channel. And they got so much information from that. They're like, oh, there's a product in here. And then because they already had the audience, it was easier for them to like kickstart the product and start to get like feedback, make sure they were building it in the right way, have something like from day one, they've had people in their sphere using that product. And so it does feel like that's the kind of natural evolution of all this, which is like the smart creators just continue to move up the value chain and to build higher monetized products. Yeah, I think that's happening a lot, especially as you're getting all these examples of it where people are saying, oh, you know, if I sell a product, that's actually worth more than selling attention. And we are seeing it at the highest levels with like, take Ryan Reynolds, for example, right? Early on getting paid to do TV commercials, he's getting paid, I don't know, say a million dollars for a brand endorsement deal. And then at some point he realizes like, wait, this is actually worth more. This attention that I'm giving you is worth more yeah, than a million dollars. Yes. Obviously, otherwise you wouldn't pay for it. You know, how much more is it worth? And so he eventually decides, okay, I'm going to buy into companies. I'm going to promote that, like own equity and then promote that myself. And, you know, the exits in Mint Mobile for 1.3 billion and Aviation Gin for six or 700 million prove that his attention was wildly valuable. And so I think you, you just see creators doing this. Like there are tons of examples out there now. And so people are looking for it. Well, I think the prime example of this now is what Brian Johnson's doing, right? Brian Johnson, if folks aren't familiar, he's the guy who's trying to live forever. He wants to live Going well backwards. into his 150, 150, 200. <laughs> and, but he's doing exactly what you both are saying, right? He invested all of this time and effort in like improving his health. And he's basically just creating around it. YouTube, TikTok, he's got a newsletter. And then what did he get? He got a ton of feedback, just like the Primal Kitchen guy of like, oh man, you're right. Finding this olive oil that's really healthy is really hard. Oh, well, great guys. I'll just sell that olive oil. Oh, finding the right chocolate's really hard. I'll just sell you that chocolate, right? And it all comes down to one, you have such a big audience that you can find product market fit very clearly, right? You can, you can basically de-risk product market fit. And then Kieran, it came back to what you said, which is, once you have a big enough audience, you just get feedback really fast and you can iterate on a product and make your product better than anybody else's because you have those like really quick, really powerful feedback loops that are really hard when you're just, all right, I've got this product and I'm going to go out and talk to people about it and try to get them to use it. And over a year, I'll get enough feedback where it's like people like Brian Johnson can get the feedback they need in like a week instead of a year. Yeah, you get to overcome this cold start problem, which yes. most products don't right. overcome. Like it might be a great product or it might have the ability to iterate to become a great product, but it doesn't get to last long enough because it doesn't have, you know, enough early sales or momentum or it doesn't get enough feedback, right? It doesn't get in front of enough people. I think you also touched on the difference between the creators of the brands that succeed long-term and the ones that don't. 
there's a lot of people who look at celebrities who come out with a product and they're like, oh, I should do that too, right? The Rock has tequila, whoever else, like Lewis Hamilton. Like a thousand people have tequila now. Yeah, everybody like. has it, right? But I think the difference is that The Rock went in and like promoted it. Like, like he went all in on it. It wasn't like, oh, I have this att- attention. Let me pass them over there. And so what you're talking about is using that attention and really diving in and, and crafting the product, understanding how it's perceived and everything else. And that's the difference. Basically, we're going to see the trend continue if someone's like basically throw away brands that they're building up and testing. And the ones that will be really successful are the ones who use their privileged position with an audience to get better information and better iterations than anyone else. By the way, if you're a creator, you still have to have a good business. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you look at Hello Bella went bankrupt this week. Right. So that's Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Two celebrities started this diaper company. You know what it turns out? It turns out it's really hard to make diapers. <laughs> like I saw a big breakdown of the bankruptcy and they're like, oh, Procter & Gamble has a hundred million dollar machine to make their diapers because it's really hard <laughs> to manufacture. Right. And so it's like, oh, Motes. well, cool. I'm glad Diaper you're passionate notes. about your kids and a passionate <laughs> about diapers. But like it's actually really hard and really expensive. And part of where creators are going to fail is in not picking businesses that they can actually execute on mm-hmm. for their audience and make a good product. Sorry, Kieran, go ahead. It turns out there's two things to compete against, network effects and diaper making machines are your two modes <laughs> as a company. <laughs> well, it's, it's Expensive hilarious. diaper. I actually think the thing I was going to say is I like I would like to come back and say, actually, I don't think the end point is like moving up the value stack. I think maybe for, <laughs> maybe unfortunately... I think we're going to start to see the endpoint creators in politics and presidents. And like you already see it happening that like people who can use and wield these channels, they just have so much authority and ways to wield that power. But I suspect we won't just see creator led businesses, which we already do today. We're going to see like creator led politics. And I think that is going to be a wild and wacky and interesting world to live in. It is. All right, Nathan, before we let you go, you work with the most successful creators in the world. What are a couple of your like top lessons from those creators? You've shared a lot in today's show, but if folks are, are hanging with us to the end, what are a couple of things that you would say, hey, you got to keep these top of mind. You got to execute these things if you're going to be a great creator. Yeah, I think there's three things. First, you have to stick with it longer than most people would think is reasonable, <laughs> yeah. right? You're going to see that trait in SaaS and marketing, but it's especially true as a creator. And I think most creators who don't make it are the ones who gave up like a year in, a year and a half in. Or they they focus on things sporadically. And so the people that I see get a lot of traction are showing up every single day for two years minimum. Like you're not even allowed to evaluate, is this worth doing until you've shown up every day for two years? The second thing is the best creators are finding a way to personalize their message. First, to push content to their audience. And second, to personalize their message to specific members of their audience, mm-hmm. right? And so that is really being able to segment through email, right? I'm going to capture as many subscribers as I can, and then I'm going to talk to them differently based on what they're interested in, what they've purchased from me, et cetera, right? As B2B business operators, we know this very, very well, right? You would not blast the same message to everyone at every stage in your sales pipeline. And so don't do it when you're going B2C in the same way. And then I think the third thing is really thinking about what's the most valuable place that I can direct this attention. I mentioned Sahil Bloom before, He, I think, is the most fascinating creator because he is, in an undercover way, making an insane amount of money off of an audience. So on one hand, he's got a million followers on Twitter, 500,000 on his newsletter. And you're like, okay, so you can monetize that, you know, maybe $100,000 a month. If he did products, we could get that up higher. 
But what he's actually doing is he went through and he looked at what am I spending money on as a creator? And he went down the list and he said, okay, I'm hiring, I've got a video editing agency. I've got an email marketing agency to help me with you know growth and putting out these lead magnets and all of that. Design, right? He's going through all these things to do, all of his cost centers as a creator. And he said, great, I'm going to start agencies for every single one of these. Oh, that's cool. And so in the last 11 months, he has started eight agencies, many with the same operator, right? So he's hired people to do it. He provides all of the deal flow for this. He's partnered with other creators, right? So him, Sam Parr, and Cody Sanchez have an agency called Viral Cuts, which is making clips, right? And these agencies are now at an $8 million a year run rate. They're all recurring revenue. They all use the same business model. And his whole thing is like, I have this attention. What can I point it to? And so if you click through, like we talked about, you know, in these social platforms, like a carousel works well on LinkedIn. So he's got a carousel about like eight mental models to think better about decision-making, whatever it is. If you flip through to the second to last slide, it's going to say, you know, if you enjoyed this content, sign up for my newsletter. That's the call to action we all expect. Then if you click to the very last slide, it says, and if you want to create designs like this, this is the agency that did it for me, which of course is one of his agencies. Of course he owns, yes. And so that like is insane monetization. And every single agency that he operates, they all have one problem. They have more leads than they can onboard, which <laughs> has a virtuous cycle where the more someone can't have something, the more they want it. And so he'd be at a $20 million a year run rate if he was comfortable scaling this up faster. But really he's saying like, no, I'm going to let leads sit in the pipeline. We're going to make sure we can crush it on execution and go from there. So I think that third lesson is really think hard about what is the most valuable thing that I can create, not just short-term cash flow, but like long-term enterprise value that I could direct this audience towards. That was awesome. Distribution is undefeated. <laughs> Distribution <laughs> is undefeated, everyone. <laughs> Never forget it. it. <laughs> Very cool.